Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller and this week uh, I'm joined, uh, I mean Christmas is the tradition season isn't it, but I'm joined by two newbies on my podcast. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by uh, Ian Silvera, the politics reporter for the International Business Times. Hello. Hi James. Um, No coincidence that you recently published one of my columns and now you're on my podcast. No coincidence. No coincidence at all. Just coincidence. Uh, I'm also joined by Bridget Phillipson, Labour MP for, I'm going to try and get this right, Houghton. Houghton. Houghton and Sunderland South. I can say Sunderland, right? Uh, Hello. Hi. Um, First, let's do... Oh, you won't have heard this jingle before. This is like, this is a treat. There you go, PMQs in review. Um, I haven't got any notes at all for this week's PMQs, but I may be wrong. What was, what was the sort of highlight or the uh, low light for you, Bridget? Well, I think social care is uh, a growing concern, and yep. the government's failure to provide proper funding for it is having a big impact. And I think sometimes people don't realise that it's such a problem until they have relatives that come to rely upon it. Mm where they discover that there isn't often very much help available and mm-hmm. it's a tri- pretty tr- tricky system to navigate. Is it a vote winner? I think whether or not it's a vote winner, it is a problem that's going to continue to get worse unless we deal with it. More and more people are living longer, that's wonderful, mm-hmm. but they need support in their own homes and that support isn't there. Is it really a crisis? I mean, you know, I'm a journalist... I've done NHS winter crises for years, and somehow the NHS is still here. Is it really a crisis? I mean, the knock-on effect on the NHS is pronounced. So mm. the number of beds that are held because patients can't be discharged, the knock-on effect it has on A&E. All of my senior NHS leaders say that the crisis in social care is having a massive impact on the NHS. So you might deal with problems in the NHS, but if you're not getting people in through A&E, you're not mm. able to discharge them. It has big unintended consequences. Um, Ian... Were you impressed by Jeremy Corbyn today? He went on, he went on social care mainly. I was fairly impressed, yeah. I thought he was definitely fired up and I think he's what? sort of best when he's animated. The two PMQs before that were rather lacklustre from both parties, so it was more enjoyable this time around. And I think going back to the point that you're saying, raising about whether this is a vote winner, it is in the sense that it's sort of related to the NHS, mm. the three big issues at the moment and have been in the general election, NHS, immigration and the economy, so it falls into that umbrella. However, it's sort of touching on that sort of Labour base, they're strong with the NHS, mm. so I'd like to see a little bit more from Corbyn on other issues. And I suppose on the other side of it, we invariably talk about whether Corbyn was good, uh, Theresa May has been rubbish the last few weeks. Mm. She was better this week as well. Uh, yes. She even made a joke. Yeah. All right, yeah. This was amazing because what Peter Dowd said uh, when she hired Boris Johnson as Foreign Secretary, FO should have been an instruction, not a job offer. And she said, no, he's FFS, a fine Foreign Secretary. Was that scripted? Who knows? I think a lot. Well, I can't probably w- she could come up with that off the top of her head. It probably it probably was going off off other sessions and before the jokes have fallen flat. She seems to have you know the same sort of scriptwriter. Obviously, it's not. But as David Cameron doing the same mm. jokes, but her delivery just isn't as good. Um, and since you are newbies to this podcast, are you fans of PMQs as a thing, Bridget? Does it work for you? 
I like it. I've always liked it. Okay. I quite like the theatre of it. Yeah. Um, constituents I speak to say it's a bit of a mixed bag. Some of them hate it. I would say more love it than hate it. Okay. It's often the only time they'll tune in. It's the yeah. one thing they'll watch in Parliament that week. And for all, some just say they don't like the you know Yabu nature mm. of it. A lot of people do love it. They like that. They like a bit of knock around. They like to see, you know, the parties, you know, going at it on on big issues. Yeah, I mean that's why it was a good one today. As you say, Corbyn was fired up. May was quite good. It was a decent exchange, which we haven't had that often in the last few weeks. Does it work for you, Ian? Are you a fan? It does. I'm afraid I'm going to have to agree. And uh, oh, I I, fine, I, yeah. I enjoy the adversarial nature of it and our politics. I think it, you know. Barack Obama was the latest president to say he wouldn't be able to withstand the PMQs. And that's not forget, I think it does have an important function democratically to hold the Prime Minister on her toes and to account. But I'm Barack Obama would be able to withhold it, because he's amazing, right? Come on, well, he would well, ace it. How would Donald Trump do? But when your name's drawn for PMQs, when you mm. put him for the draw and you see your name on that list, you see it the week before, and you know, I then think about nothing else over the weekend. I just think, oh God, I've got a PMQ, what am I going to ask? And yeah. preparing for it. And, you know, I speak in the chamber often enough, yeah. but PMQs, you're just acutely aware that people are watching in a way they yeah. aren't normally. Yeah. And that if you slip up and make yourself look an idiot, you know, it, it, it lingers long in the memory. Yes, there's a lot to lose, perhaps more to lose than there is to gain, I suppose, by making a mistake. Although most people don't, to be fair. Most people get it right. I had a question to ask Bridget on that. And so when you're deliberating about it, do you, obviously there's local issues that you want to raise, but if there's a big news story that mm. morning... Are you minded to go for that? How do you sort of make your mind up on it? I think in the past when I've had PMQs, I've done a bit of both. Um, you'll sometimes have a couple in your head, but of course you have to be prepared for the bit. If it's a national question you're going to ask that somebody else might have already asked it and how mm. to ask it again in such a way that you don't sound like you haven't been listening to mm. the exchange. But you, you balance it. Or, you know, I'll usually ask on something that's relevant to the people that I represent, but there's a big story of the day. The whole point is that it's topical. Um, but you've usually worked out, you know, you, you speak it aloud to yourself. You think at what point would somebody, would that have an obvious kind of mm. point at which somebody's going to jump in and, you know, because sometimes when you read things aloud, when you, you know, as opposed to seeing it on paper. Yeah. You, you, you realise the pitfalls that, you know, might not otherwise <laughs> not, be so obvious in, in the text. Not enough MPs do that, I'd suggest. There's a number of MPs who will stand up at PMQs and read out something that they've written down and you just think... That's rubbish. That just sounds like you've written it down, and it just doesn't really work. It's the classic. I think, I think it's far better if you if you're confident in what you're going to yeah. say, and you just it, mm. yeah, it takes it takes away that edge of thinking I'm going to make a fool of myself if you feel confident in your delivery. I mean, that kind of feeds into what I want to talk about next. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Labour Party and where it's at, um, because you wrote a piece about this, Bridget. But I, there was some quite a lot of Labour people on the list for PMQs today. A few weeks ago. There was very few. There was like an SNP takeover, um, which everyone oh, that's interesting. Fair enough. It's the luck of the draw. And in a few weeks, I think last week, again, there was no Labour on the list. There was obviously lots of SNP. Um, is that just the luck of the draw? Or, as has been suggested to me, is the Labour whips operation rubbish and people aren't putting in for PQs and there's something wrong there? I think it's just the luck of the draw. I mean, I, I'm certainly still putting in, and yeah. I'm not aware. Of, I don't know the numbers, but I would. Sometimes it's just how how things fall. I mean, that was particularly long PMQs when we had. They're all because uh, of days. course you have to go back and forth. So, uh, yes. but they are they are longer than they used to be. And the Prime Minister does give pretty long answers. I mean, that first answer on social care, I just thought, well, you just kind of cut to the quick. You're going to have more on this. This isn't yeah. the only question you're going to get on it. 
Can we just move things along a bit? I think quickly on that, I think you make a good point. I think actually the Prime Minister is stumbling through a brain for a killer line at the end, and that's why your answers are so long. Well, but Jeremy Corbyn's questions are long as well. I mean, they're True. both just a bit long-winded, aren't they? They just both could do with a good sub-editor, right? It's slow. I mean, we could do with a bit more progress, and it limits yeah. other people getting in. Yeah. Which is a shame. It's, well, I mean, why not just call it a 45-minute session and be done with it? Because it is these days. It is at least 40 minutes. Um, yeah, I want to talk about the future of Labour, or the state of Labour, because, um, Bridget, you wrote this piece for The Staggers, which I was reading again this morning, uh, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but I thought it was brilliant, right? It's really good. It's really understanding the issues um, about where Labour is at uh, and, to some extent, how it gets back in the game. Um, you know, how bad is it for Labour at the moment? I think it's very hard. Um, thank you for your nice words about that piece. It took took quite a number of months to get there. It was quite long, so um, it took a while to took a while to produce, and then had a version worked up and then Brexit happened so things needed oh, right. to change a bit so I had, 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 had a bit of a rehash I'm a bit worrying that the problems have been around that, that long <laughs> the problems have been around a while but I think Brexit does present new challenges um, yeah. for the country and I think for the Labour Party as well I mean things are tough um, I think the polls evidence that things are tough but you know things can get better and my article was an attempt to try and diagnose the problem I mm. don't suggest that I've really come to a conclusion on some of those issues. Mm-hmm. I wanted to try and identify where the where things were. But I think we do as a party need to do a lot of thinking about how we have solutions that address the modern world, the world as we find it, not the world as we would wish to find it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the fundamental thing was you talk about these sort of two Englands, which I appreciate is the sort of difficult language around that. It wasn't your language. But that there's a... What I've summarised even more shorthandedly as UKIP England and Guardian Reading England, um, if that makes sense. Um, and Labour's sort of, where does Labour fit into that dynamic between, as you say, between Hull and Hampstead and, uh, you know, the sort of insular-looking England and the outward-looking England? Uh, Labour's just kind of lost its way, hasn't it? We've always been a party that's, in order to have electoral success, has to appeal to a range of voters sure. and that, that Hull and Hampstead comparison was mm. you know and it was is about looking at that broad appeal that the party has to have in order to win elections but I think what we do need is clarity on message what what it is we're saying and mm. I think where parties have mixed messages and we have a lack of clarity about our direction mm. voters and voters are unsure as to what we stand for that's when parties run into trouble and I think that's what we need to be mindful of yeah I mean one of the things you talk about is um, looking back Essentially, I mean, I, I was talking to Ian about this just before we, we started. Said, you know, the idea that you nationalise railways, which is most people say they want, but why? What's the point? Um, would you agree, Ian, that Labour has a, a bit of a problem in looking backward rather than looking forward at the moment? Yeah, I do. I think it's just, yeah, as we sort of discussed, James, it just seems what's what's the point of then it's nice to sort of feel warm and cuddly about the past you know we're moving forward i think it's very interesting there seems to be a bit of divide between tom watson on this and jeremy Mm. corbyn tom watson's talked a lot about the future of the world of work how robots for example are going to be changing things and how did the labor party and the labor movement as well uh respond to this and yeah going back to your point i mean other than you know, re-nationalise the railways. Why would we make that effort? You know, mm. it's um, yeah. And as you say, I mean, you, you talk about ninety-seven, which is just a different world to where we are now. Which 
to people of my generation, unfortunately you two are always certainly both significantly younger than me, but 97 still seems quite recent. Um, but it's also what you want to achieve with a policy. So, you know, you, you say you want, you know, the party would say we want to renationalise railways. I'm, I'm fine with that. But how does that address transport inequality in our country? How does that mm. help the people I represent who, we don't have trains, we've got we we have zero by trains. trains. In not in my constituency. No. What? Um, so <laughs> I don't want to sound like metropolitan elite, but you know, <laughs> how do you all get around? Uh, buses is the biggest issue. It's not trains. It's buses. Wow. Um, and you know, the car usage. You know, yeah. the state of the roads. That's a far bigger issue for lots of people across England than trains. I mean, tr- you know, the, the dominance of this issue around you know, uh, southeastern rail services. I yes. appreciate it needs sorting, but actually, outside of the southeast. I I, I was thinking that as as well. Again, apologies for agreeing on stuff again. But, um, you know, today I was thinking about it as obviously someone in the journalism trade. I was thinking, actually, this is a very regional story. Oh, yeah. But everyone's going large on it for Mm. some reason. Obviously, it affects 300,000 commuters, which, of course, is terrible for them. But we do seem to be, you know, talking about ourselves in the media about very southern issues, whereas you know, transport as bridges sort of highlighting. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating because as a self-confessed indie ref bore, um, people like Gavin Newlands, SNP MP, were going, oh, why is this topping the news? And um, I agree, why is it topping the news? Because it is a London story. But the interesting thing, I suppose, from what you're saying is that, you know, he's trying to make it a, why is this a London story when it's not an issue in Scotland? It's an issue in the North East as well. It's that thing of Scotland and the North East have more again more in, more in common than divides them perhaps than than some would like to make out it's a, almost a london versus the rest situation and i think if you look at an area like rail renationalization it would be good to do it but we shouldn't imagine that it wouldn't necessarily help the people that would be seeking for it to help so it would help all of those people in the southeast who commute into london yeah but unless that went hand in hand with other transport you know policies yeah. that would support a wider kind of investment in transport you're often just giving that inequality of transport spend mm. is just further yes accentuated. Yeah, I mean, I I, I mentioned Scotland there. I, I you know, <laughs> I'm the first one to mention Scotland. Um, that is missing from what you did say about the the future of Labour is what to do about Scotland. I mean, at one point you sort of say, um, you know, what you're saying applies to lots of different places, and then you sort of say. Yeah, but Scotland, it's just mad, basically. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing slightly. Um, I think it would probably require another 5,000 words. So yeah. I, you know, I wrote about 5,000 anyway. I felt like adding another 5,000 might uh, might tip it over. But, but it is sort of vital to, to the, yeah. the Labour comeback in a way, because it the is. bold figures are that you need more than one MP in Scotland to ever get back into power. You don't need to have 40 necessarily again, but you need at least sort of a dozen, right? I think some of the wider points I make around devolution and does have a wider resonance. I'm not convinced that arguing for for a federal structure is necessarily the way to electoral success, but that's you know that's for um, others in Scotland to make that argument. But we shouldn't pretend that there isn't a knock-on consequence elsewhere in the rest of the UK. That, there's, that's interesting because, of course, the king of federalism now is one Gordon Brown. Uh, he has decided to go on about federalism all the time. Um, it's been suggested to me that he is meddling and is not entirely welcome with his ideas on federalism. Kez Dugdale obviously come out with her idea for a new active union. Um, as you say, in your piece, you sort of suggest that devolution is a bit of a trap. Um, 
in some ways. It can be. It depends on, you know, some issues are best dealt with on a regional basis or, in the case of Scotland, best dealt with within Scotland. Other issues, and I do use the Scottish example on abortion rights, Mm. I don't think abortion rights are best dealt with in that way. I think having a framework across the UK where there's consistency would Mm. have been a better approach in the same way devolving employment rights, I don't think, would create a better or fairer system for workers in the UK. I think there are some things that are best dealt with um, across the whole of the United Kingdom. Um, and doesn't the Scottish example show uh, exactly that, that devolution is not necessarily good for Labour? Because uh, they kind of fell into the trap in Scotland of having responsibility but no real power. They were given a bit of a few pennies from the Treasury every year without really being able to actually do anything with it. I think, de- I think devolution can can work well in some areas but Mm. in some aspects it just um, is about passing the book but without passing the funding or the powers to actually achieve what you want to do yeah it's um you're a fan of devolution it's it's like a total wonky thing every westminster goes on about devolution but real people just want stuff to work don't they no exactly and i think it's we have you know there's two binary issues there's the devolution there's the unionism issue Mm. Um, and then obviously it's Brexit, and I think in both areas, um, Labour are in the grey. Yeah. And when it comes to it, we saw that recently with, with the by-election. Um, you know, who are you going to pick? Are you going to pick a pro-Brexit, you know, uh, anti-Brexit party in the Liberal Democrats? Are you going to pick a pro-Unionist party in the Scottish Conservatives? Mm. Or are you going to go for the SNP? And it seems, you know, Labour, whether they like it or not yeah. it seems to be in this grey area yeah I mean I, I, the question I'd have is what's the difference between devolution and a postcode lottery mm. are they not mm. the same thing <laughs> yes <laughs> obviously uh, right? to, to an extent I mean obviously it depends what model you, you go for if it's the a good devolution thing. I think there needs to be in you know if we do have devolution the, the problem with devolution is that you have to have equality of devolution eventually mm. whereas you know does Stormont have the same powers as Holyrood and then we get onto this whole English uh, parliament yes. question as well yeah. you know it brings it up there yeah and then you mentioned Englishness right Who you're slagging off Frankfield, Frankfield and Stephen Kinnock right you say that some of your, your some of your colleagues go on about Englishness all the time and it's not the answer it isn't the, the two answer. names that spring answer. to mind that have been going about Englishness are Stephen Kinnock and Frank Field. I, I, right? I engage in the arguments, but um, no, Englishness isn't the answer. That's not to say that um, many of the people for, who, for whom we need to appeal would regard themselves as English rather than British first. Mm. However, just simply talking about the problem doesn't give you any practical ways to yeah. deal with it. So saying that we need to talk about Englishness doesn't in and of itself achieve very much. But I think, you know, if you look at devolution my obsession is bus services that's all my big kind of obsession locally has been bus services for six years that we can deal with if we had those powers we could achieve a lot but what won't happen is we won't have an integrated system a properly integrated system unless we get some decent funding from central government yeah so it's got to be both together that's the thing isn't it um like i said i mean your your piece was very interesting there's various uh big issues you tackle suggesting that a uh, a sort of a, a fad for coding in schools, which I think is entirely true. People go, coding, coding. What's coding? What even is it? Um, and uh, you, you tackle immigration as well. I don't know. Your point on immigration is essentially don't talk about it. No. I mean, that, I've, you know, I've spoken to colleagues about the piece that I wrote, and immigration, I think, is the area where there is the liveliest debate within the party, a genuine mm. debate about the best way to talk about the issue. 
we need to be alive to voters' concerns, but I don't. Th- but we need to find a way of attracting voters as well on on the broader issues that they face in their lives. And immigration is often a proxy for concern around housing, around access to GP services, around school places. Mm. You know, in Sunderland, we don't have mm. a great number of migrants coming to the city, but we do face a real pressure on GP numbers and on appointments. So, immigration is unlikely is in fact totally unlikely to solve that problem. But it's an easy answer that yeah. allows people to say, if we just dealt with immigration, everything would be wonderful and we'd have lots of GPs and there'd be plenty of jobs. And, you know, the problems that we face in the northeast, as we do in other parts of the country, mm. are far more deep seated and about far, you know, long term problems that we need to tackle, not about immigration. As Jeremy Corbyn phoned you up and said, oh, that was a really interesting piece you wrote. Come in and let's talk about it. I haven't spoken to Jeremy about it, no. Has anybody said, as Don Watson said, that was interesting, come in and talk well, about quite it? Quite a few people have said they liked it, which was very, which is very nice of them. But why are they not getting you in to actually discuss the ideas? Well, there's lots, lots of colleagues have got in, interesting contributions to make, and I think we do as a party need to have that discussion about the way. Well, then we should going. be getting you in to talk about it, right? Is this a failure well, of the leadership? No, I mean, you know, we, we talk amongst each other all the time about, you know, the approach we need to take on particular mm. policies and more generally. And, um, We'll keep doing that, no doubt. Okay. Um, they should have you in. They should be talking about it. Um, shouldn't they, Ian? Uh, well, the Labour leadership really need to have some thoughts. I would suggest this is a wider problem with politics at the moment. I, I, there are not enough thinkers around. Well, I think in Labour, particularly in the front bench, I think there are issues they've got too many thinkers. I was at Sir K. Uh, Sir K. Starmer's speech the other day. Yeah. And with no irony whatsoever, he said the government had contradictory opinions on Brexit, which they do. <laughs> but, of course, we've had the whole thing over the weekend with Diane Abbott saying one thing, Andy Burnham saying another. Well, and Andy Burnham saying another thing on top of that. So I think it's good to have different thoughts, but I think they need to have one line, in, particularly when they're attacking the government. Yeah, Um but it's also good. I don't know. Is there thinkers? I mean, you well, know, actually, no, there's, the there's, big thinkers. I, I no. say they say applies to the SNP, um, and to some extent the Tories. It doesn't seem to be enough. You know, Bridget has thought about it. There's not enough people having deep thoughts about where their party is going, because I would say, and this has nothing to do with the article I flogged to the International Business Times. Uh, we're into post-referendum politics. You know, no. the landscape has changed. And there doesn't seem enough people actually thinking about how that affects them. No, it's good, and I applaud Bridget and our article looking, you know, properly and deeply into the, the issues that Labour face. But I think we talk a lot about Labour thinking about the issues, finding diagnosis. I think people want to see solutions. And, mm. you know, and Diane Abbott says, you know, 12 months we would close the poll gap. Well, let's see some policies. And in fairness, I will say this, in fairness to John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn, they have been putting forward policies like yesterday we saw with the triple lock pension uh, commitment mm. is a vote winner for the older generations in May annoy young Corbynistas. But mm. there has been some practi- uh, prag- uh, pragmatic approaches to this. And I think they need to do more. But if Diane Abbott's thought is we'll close the poll gap in 12 months, it's a stupid thought. It's a singularly insane thought because it's not going to happen. That's not the sort of thinker you want on your front bench, right? She's set that deadline now, so it's out there. And the, the, the thing is, I think going back to the immigration point, I will give Corbyn credit in the sense that he is pro-free movement. He's making the case for it. But yeah. in the past, I think, you know, 
uh, Tony Blair did say it's a good thing, but he never said the levels that we would get. And we saw that with David Cameron with this mm. failed tens of thousands target, which Theresa May and Amber Rudd have recommitted to, and we know they can't they can't meet it. Right, you brought up the great man himself. Um, would you welcome Tony Blair back, Bridget? I don't think he's on his way back. Isn't I don't he? think Tony Blair's on. I don't think he's coming back. He's got an institute. He does, but and you know, it's I would welcome contributions from people across the party. You know, where we need that. You know, whether it's Tony Blair or others. Um, I'm he's up. a thinker, right? I mean, I know he has some daft thoughts on Iraq, but he also thought about where Labour should be and how to get it into power and stuff. He knows stuff. He should be tapped up as well. I think Tony's great talent was to understand where voters are and to have practical policies that will address the concerns about their lives. I mean, that was Tony's. You know, Tony seemed to have a pretty good understanding of where most voters were, particularly those in areas where we need, you know, where we need the strongest appeal, places like the Midlands and, and yeah. elsewhere. You know, the kinds of things that people want in their day-to-day lives that often politics seems very distant and abstract. You know, people want to go on holiday. They might want to put mm-hmm. a conservatory on the back of their house. They might want to get a new car. They want the kids to have a better life than they had. All of they want to live in an area Aspiration. where. Well, they they want their kids to do better. You yeah. know, they want life not to be as hard for yeah. the next generation perhaps not as hard as it's been for them they want their kids to have better opportunities to go to better schools do well in life earn good you know earn good money have good jobs all of which are, are reasonable things that surely you know i want for the people i represent i want it for my own kids yeah. and you know we need to be talking a language that understands what people want and doesn't seek to suggest that somehow something wrong with um, wanting your kids to get on and do well in life. You make it sound so reasonable. That doesn't seem difficult, and yet uh, your party seems to be finding that difficult at the moment. Um, let me pitch, here's the column I'll pitch to you in, sort of, in a roundabout way. You don't have to say yes or no, I'm just, just thinking out loud on Tony Blair. Um, here's how Tony Blair gets back, all right? I've got to be very careful around this, but all the stuff in Syria, politics is now, I mean, you had a big debate on Aleppo yesterday. Politics is now getting to a position where it realises... Wars are not so bad after all. Tony Blair's been vilified for having an illegal war, possibly illegal war. But actually now people are going, you know what, intervention's okay. And people in the Labour Party and elsewhere will turn to Tony Blair and say, here's a man who gets intervention, let's get him back somehow. I can't see that happening whatsoever at all. Because uh, in, intervention went out of fashion after the, the Iraq war. Yeah. And still seems to be out of it although again when we talk about the grey areas we have Boris Johnson who has you know a lot of his rhetoric against Russia and Syria and Assad is very strong calling Mm. Assad a puppet the other day and urging Russia to drop him in that debate but that seems to be as far as it's going um with regards to Blair himself I think you know he's 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 left such a mark controversial mark on the Middle East I just think he's too toxic like if we look at the you know you know the, the proper use of the word he would be too toxic to bring back into the front line of politics just because of how feel people feel so strongly on both sides of the debate about him wait and see wait and see these are strange days indeed that's, that's, there's, there's a prediction there you go that's my first prediction for 2017 yeah. Tony Blair Maybe. back in the big time my new year's resolution for 2017 is not to make predictions oh where's the fun in that well you know because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pundit I've been these wrong days. on just about Sorry. everything in the last couple of years uh, so I've just true. given up on I predicted something what did I predict oh Trump I predicted Trump but I didn't predict Brexit so I can't, can't claim that one um, let us just finish with something vaguely light-ish uh, it was Jeremy Corbyn's Christmas drinks this week did you go Ian? 
wasn't invited. You weren't invited. I'm, I'm not a big. I'm not a big shot. I was invited, but I forgot all about it. Oh. I confess. I heard there was a red <laughs> star at the top of this tree. Yes, it was yeah. a really smart tree. Yeah. I saw the pictures. Um, politicians' Christmas parties. Do we like them? Are they good? Have you been to any good ones? It was the PLP Christmas do last night. Yeah. Although I didn't get there. Oh, so, snubbed. Uh, but I've heard, I've, you know, I've heard bits and bits and bobs from others. So. What happens? Do people, you know, get drunk and photocopy their backsides and snog under the mistletoe and stuff? Karaoke, like a normal ca- karaoke is the popular thing. Oh, who's good at karaoke? Tom Watson. Well, I didn't get the last year's either because I was having a baby last year. Oh, so you know, um, sounds like you just hate your colleagues and avoid the Christmas party. I mean, I know people do that. Isn't well, it? no, I had a good excuse last night. We have our office Christmas uh, oh, okay. jolly, so I took my staff out for, for a meal. So yeah, and then then the PLP announced they were having theirs, but sadly oh, I, I owed my you know debt to oh. my staff. But um, no, they're good fun, and Who, it's nice to. Who's nice the karaoke to. kings? Um, Michael Douglas big on the karaoke. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Tom Watson, I think, doesn't Yeah, they? they're like the crooners, aren't they? Michael yeah, the, cr- the crooner, crooners, yeah. 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 Uh, to be honest, though, it's usually just uh, anybody. You don't really have to yeah. be. Uh, yeah, I'll clear, but... Is it a good party? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's been... I mean, the worst one probably was the year where um, at a pub near here and um, I went to get my food and there was no food left. Nightmare. Yeah, you put a ticket, no food. Mm. Eating's cheating on Christmas night out. Yeah. Come on. Um, have you been to some of these political Christmas do's in the past uh, no I'm, I'm a bit this? of a newbie oh. yeah around Westminster you've got so, warm white or, wine to look forward to yeah. although I'm all in favour of them if anyone's listening and wants to invite me I'm, I'm ready to go down and you know yeah I, uh, I forgot about Corbyn's unfortunately I haven't been invited to number 10 I don't know if that's been and no. gone that's yeah. uh, there was a good one one year where we went to number 10 and uh, me and another bloke just walked in and the camera had happened to come down the stairs behind us and basically the doors fling open and us three walked in together we were like, oh, this is a bit embarrassing uh, it looked like we were just hanging out with Dave alright Dave you know? Although, uh, talking about Christmas I found out that it's mainly a tradition over here in North America because I thought I'd ask um, if John Claude Juncker is sending out a Christmas card and who yeah. and who isn't on it and it turns out he's not releasing one because it's not a thing apparently well Christmas isn't but, a thing in Europe well it is oh, we're going to be better off out the EU you've just turned me into a Brexiteer right now he's, he's doing a Facebook message I'm told he's doing oh. a Facebook video so that's not the same I know I was hoping to get a card from Mr Juncker he's not afraid to talk about Christmas so, it's not that is it no yeah, well because lots of people are afraid to talk about Christmas in the workplace, aren't they? Are they? No, of course they're not. Fiona Bruce is crazy. Bringing up at BMQs a couple of weeks ago. I, I work at home. I have to listen to Radio 2, which has been playing non-stop Christmas music. This country's not afraid of Christmas. It's too much Christmas. Um, no, there won't be too much Christmas next week. That's fine. Uh, before I stand like a Scrooge. Uh, okay, I have uh, managed to fit in a rant about Christmas, so we'll call it a day, a day there. Um, and say thank you to my guests, uh, Bridget Phillipson, and thank you to Ian Silvera. Hopefully that was uh, not too unpleasant, and you might come on again. Um, tune in next week for another uh, Political Yeti's Politics podcast, and if you want to get in touch in the meantime, I am at Political Yeti on Twitter, or politicalyeti at gmail.com on the email. So thanks for listening and tune in next week. Thanks.